Good morning. My name is Travis Tatama. I'm the campus pastor at New Life Wilsonville, and I'm very glad that I get to be with you this morning in this place as we praise God together. We gather uh, like this so that we might uh, worship God, so that we might ascribe worth and glory to Him, so that we might give Him our praises. Some, of, some people might call this a worship service because we are serving God with our uh, praises and with our voices. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what does uh, worship look like? What does spiritual worship look like? And I want to, uh, in talking about worship, look at Romans chapter 12, which Frank was kind enough to read for us just a moment ago. Romans chapter 12 in verse 1 starts like this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, I appeal to you. I'm, I'm asking you. I'm begging you. I'm appealing to you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, before we get into the rest of this, as before we start talking about gifts and, and things, works of the, of the body, let's look right here first in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The context here is the mercy of God. In fact, if you were to go back to see the bigger picture context, the context for chapter 12 is uh, this, therefore, is referring back to chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 8, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Now the reason I wanted to go back here first is because I want to highlight and show that everything that we talk about here is rooted in this good news, this gospel. It's all rooted here. So when we are now on this series, and those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks know that we are talking about the values of New Life Church, and so we've been talking about this little booklet. Some of you uh, have seen this booklet before or have one. I saw a couple of extra copies uh, out there in the lobby, and so you're welcome to grab one of these on your way out if you don't yet have one of these. But we have uh, in here this little diagram our spiritual dynamic. And so this is what we're talking about right now, the dynamic of our church, our spiritual dynamic revolves around this in the center, which is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, and I knew all the Sunday school stories. I knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I knew about David and Goliath. I knew about all of them. I could put them in chronological order, and I could tell you all about these stories. And I knew, because I'd grown up in the church, and my parents had taught me from a very young age, had been passed down from generation to generation in my family, that if you wanted to go to heaven, you had to believe in Jesus. 
because we are all sinners and separated from God because of our sin, and we have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sin so that we might be saved from our sin and uh, reunited with God, reconciled with God. Now, I knew that, I believed that, but I would ask my dad, now, does it say that in the Bible? Where does it say that in the Bible, though? Right? I knew all the Bible stories, and I knew the gospel, the good news about Jesus. I could articulate it to you, but I wondered, did it say it anywhere that clearly in the Bible? And then as I was reading, I found Romans chapter 10 and found it right here and went, oh, wow, here it is. Simply and concisely. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, this isn't the only one verse in the book of Romans that Paul spells it out this clearly. That if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you will be saved from your sins and reconciled with God. It is important to know that everything we believe revolves around that. So when we start talking in just a minute about worship and what pleases God in our worship, I want you to know it originates in this. So that when Paul is pleading and saying, I want you therefore to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, he is not saying to offer your body as a living sacrifice so that you will be accepted by God. He is saying, because God has offered Jesus, his son, on your behalf. Therefore, in response to that good news, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Back in chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship is to offer your physical body to God. Isn't that strange? When I think of a spiritual worship, my first thought is some sort of like nebulous, out there, somewhere. Maybe it's just happening in my mind and in my heart quietly. That, that's my spiritual worship. But what he says is, as your spiritual worship, what I want you to do is offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. And now he contrasts this in verse 2. He says, now don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so as he's telling you, I want you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 
He's saying, I want you to do this unlike the way that the world around you does it. Don't be conformed to the world. What does the world do? How do they use their bodies? They use their bodies to please themselves or in service to others for praise. And he says, don't be conformed to that. Rather, by testing, so that you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, for I say, by the grace given to me, this is verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed. He wants each of us to think of ourselves humbly, in humility, that in our offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God, that we will be, in, in some sense, serving one another. That we are not going to think of ourselves more highly or think of, of uh, how we might please and satisfy ourselves, but how we might please and honor God in what we do with our bodies. And in order to be able to do that, we are going to have to do it humbly in the way that Jesus offered his body in sacrifice for us in his humility. Because if anyone deserved to stand in a place and say, you know what, I would like all of you to serve me, Jesus was the one that could have done that. The one who created the world and everything in it, the one who reigns on high, could have looked and said, you know what I want from you? I want obedience and I want service. I want all of your praises. And instead what Jesus said is, I see your great need and I offer myself for you. I offer myself for you. In his great humility, Jesus offered himself, his body. He took on a body so that he could offer it to God on your behalf. It was his spiritual act of worship to offer his body on your behalf. Therefore, we ought not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but we ought to think with sober judgment, each according to the amount of faith that God has given to you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. He begins to use this language of the body, and he says, uh, you are all members of the body of Christ. Just like you have members of your body, you all here together are members of the body of Christ. When we're talking about the church, we are not talking about this physical location. We are talking about the gathering of God's people, the body of Christ, the members who happen to be gathered in this place are the church. We are members of the church, and collectively, we are the church. It's not an institution. It's not a physical location. It is this gathering, this group, this body of people working together as members of Christ's body. 
working together, though. One of the values that we have here at New Life Church is that we will serve and we will serve together. Because it doesn't really work to serve alone. You think about doing things with just one part of your body. Have you ever tried to tie your shoes with one hand? Now, I suppose that many of you are very good at tying your shoes. You've been doing it for a long time, but if I said, okay, but now I'm going to take away one of your hands, and so you can only tie your shoes with one hand, and I want you to do it with your eyes closed. Suddenly, many of you who thought you were very good at tying your shoes find you're less good at tying your shoes than you used to be. Or how about if I ask you to pour a glass of milk? You go, that's easy. I can pour a glass of milk all day long. No problem. No tears here. I'm not going to cry because there's not going to be any spilled milk. And I say, okay, now you have to do it with one hand. Uh-oh. And your eyes closed. You only get to use one member of your body. It doesn't work. The body is designed to work together. We see one another and we work together and we do that in unity. And as we are working in concert with one another, then our service is pleasing to God. So, though many, we are one body in Christ and individually we are members one of another. And so let's look at some examples of how we as the body of Christ and individually members one of another might work together for the building up of the body in worship to God. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now, he's going to give some specific examples, but I just want to pause for a moment right there and say that each of you has a gift that you have been given by God, maybe multiple gifts, gifts that you recognize and gifts that you don't recognize. So go ahead and use them. It is the grace of God to give you those gifts. Some of you are like an eye. Some of you are like an ear. Some of you are like a hand. Some of you are like a pinky toe. Each of us with a function, and don't disparage the pinky toe. Very important for balance. Very important for balance. So we all are going to work together here, and here are some of the things that we're going to start with. He says, uh, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So for those of you with the gifts of prophecy, and I think many of you are going, that's not me. I don't have the gift of prophecy. That's not one of the gifts that God has given to me. And I want to just stop and say, did you know Paul started with this gift? the gift of prophecy. And when he said, if you're using the gift of prophecy in proportion to our faith, our faith, his expectation is that we all have the gift of prophecy. Now, you may not feel like you are very good at telling the future, and that's fine because that's not the kind of prophecy that we're talking about here. The kind of prophecy that we're talking about here is speaking God's words to people. 
And we all have that gift. We all have that responsibility that we are going to be speaking for God to others. Particularly speaking God's word to God's people. And we have an expectation in this place that we are going to be learning the word of God, spending time in the word of God so that we can speak God's words to one another. And when you do, do that in accordance with the proportion of your faith. As God has given you faith, then speak. Speak clearly. This is one of the things that I appreciate about being a part of a life group. Is that when I'm in a life group, we get to talk about God's word together and we get to speak into one another's lives. We get to encourage one another. We get to talk about what does this say? How can I encourage you today? What are you dealing with? What are your challenges? And what does God's word say about those challenges? It is something that each and every member of God's body gets to speak into the rest of the body what God has for them. Almost like the nerves of the body all running back so that each part of the body knows what's happening with each other part of the body. And we are all speaking to one another in proportion to our faith. And then he says, if it's in service, in our serving. One of the other gifts that all of us have is that we all have the gift of service. And it looks different for different people. We serve in different ways, but we have an expectation that when you see something that needs to be done, you're not sitting here going, wow, I really hope somebody takes care of that. When you see something that needs to be done, you don't sit back and go, wow, this place is a mess. Some of you uh, live in a household with other family members. And parents, you can relate to this. If you see it's on the floor, pick it up. If you see the laundry basket is full, run a load of laundry. If the roll is empty, change it. You see, we don't have that expectation of guests who come in to the house. When a guest comes into the house, we expect that we will serve the guest. We don't have expectations of them, but of family members, please participate in the family. When it's time to show up early and set up for the event, let's show up early and set up for the event. When it's time to clean up afterwards, let's not go, hey, had a great time, thanks. But let's stay and clean up afterwards. In my family, we had very large Thanksgivings. And I, I can remember that um, one of my uh, relatives would be at Thanksgiving, and when the meal was over and it was time for cleanup, this relative would play the piano. And I can remember other uh, relatives afterwards talking about it, going, I don't feel as though playing the piano 
is as much help as they think that it is. We would rather that they serve by clearing or washing dishes or taking out the trash or something like that because playing the piano is not as helpful as some other practical service things. And so I can remember coming in the next Thanksgiving and there was a potted plant on the closed keyboard (laughs) of the piano. That's not a typical place for potted plants. But it sent a clear message, and so I'm trying to communicate that message to you that when it is time to help, when it is time to serve, don't defer, but rather step in. Because we all, as members of the body, have the responsibility of serving one another. So when you see something that needs to be done, don't sit back and wait for somebody else to do it or wish that someone would get around to doing it. But take some initiative and go ahead and do it. We have all kinds of ministry opportunities here. There's uh, service opportunities in the church, both formal and informal, right? When I say that the church is this group of people, there are some times when we have formal ministry. You can serve in New Life Kids in the children's ministry. You can can serve uh, there by helping out and and handing out snacks or uh, check-in or all kinds of different ways that you could help. You could help in the hospitality or greeting. There are formal ministries. There are also informal ministries because when we serve one another, we are serving the Lord. And so there are times when you see somebody's need in the body and you say, I am going to help out with that need and that is service. It is God's gift to you. He has given you the faith to recognize the need and help in that area. And I want to validate those informal ministries. Because without them, the body of Christ would not be built up and strengthened in the way that it is. The next one he says is, to the one who teaches in his teaching. No longer the collective. We don't have the expectation necessarily that everyone has the gift of teaching or everyone will be teaching. But there are a wide variety of uh, contexts in which you might teach. You might teach in a life group. You might lead a life group and you might do some teaching there or in a Bible study or a Sunday school class. You might teach in youth group or you might teach in uh, New Life Kids. And there are people that are going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, not me for kids. That is not my gift. I have talked with people over the years and they have told me that is not my gift. And I said, we really have a need at New Life Kids right now. Would you help? And three months later, they came back to me and they went, this is so exciting. (laughs) Kids are amazing. They are so excited about hearing God's word. And I didn't think I knew enough to teach anybody anything. And then I got in with the kids and we were just reading the Bible together and figuring out what it meant. And they get so excited and they ask these great questions. And this is, I can never not do this. 
you might have a gift of teaching and you didn't know. You might have a context for teaching and you didn't even know. Teaching is not necessarily hard. It's not necessarily formal. You don't necessarily have to stand up in front of a whole bunch of people and talk to them and hold forth with great wisdom. But teaching can be in the context of a one-on-one -on -one situation where you're talking with somebody and you're explaining to them what the scriptures say. And it's very valuable. To the one who exhorts in his exhortation, this encouragement, this challenging, in, in the Greek, the parakaleo, that we are calling someone to something. We're calling someone to something. We're walking alongside them. The, the, uh, in, some time, in some context, the comforter. So, so the Holy Spirit is, re <clears throat> excuse me, is referred to as the parakaleo, our, our comforter, our helper, our encourager. And one of the things that we want here at New Life Church is not only for everyone to engage in service and to engage in service together, but to encourage those who are serving. Because there are times when somebody's been serving for a long time, and there have been times when those same people who told me, I can never not do this, are going, I am so tired. I'm so tired. I have been serving in this context for several years, and I am so tired. And what they need is for someone to come along and encourage them. To call them forward. Oh, you can do it. You're doing such a great job. When you see someone who is doing ministry, it is great to come alongside and just say, you are doing such a great job. I just want to affirm how helpful your ministry to the body is. Sometimes the best encouragement that you can have is somebody cheering on the side. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And that can be your ministry. That can be your ministry in this church is to see those who are serving and come alongside and go, thank you for helping, thank you for serving, you can do it. Your, your role might be the encourager to come alongside and call people to it. Have you ever thought of working in New Life Kids? Have you ever thought about being a greeter? I bet you would be a great greeter. Have you ever thought about helping with hospitality? Calling people forward, calling them to something. And you can have that role. You could have that role of being the encourager, the exhorter, the challenger. For the one who contributes in generosity. Sometimes what people need in the body is for someone to contribute. One of the things that I have appreciated about New Life Church, and I'm going to, my, now my context is the congregation in Wilsonville, and I'm going to project onto you some of the, what I know about them and what I have heard from Pastor John about you. And that is your generosity. Your willingness to sacrificially give to needs. 
to see things that need to be done and say, I can give to help with this. And I want to encourage that and say that this is a gift from God. And it is a way that you are helping to build up the body when you see a need and you say, I can give to that and I can give generously to help with that need. It is so encouraging. So edifying. So necessary. To have people standing up and saying, I can help in this way by providing for that need. For the one who leads with zeal. Now, let's take a moment and talk about what leading is. If I step back or step up and say, okay, you go over there and you go over there and you do this and you do that, that is not leading. That is directing, managing sometimes, but not leading. Leading is when you go somewhere and then say, come along with me. Leading is being the first one in, seeing that thing that needs to be done, taking initiative and saying, hey, guys, let's do this. We can do this together. That's leading. That's leading. Leading with zeal. The, the zeal is like this enthusiasm, excitement. I see something that needs to be done, and I am going to go after it, and I hope that people are going to follow me in doing it. But it's not in telling people what needs to be done. It's in doing it first and bringing people along with you. That is leadership. It's the first one in. Some of you have the gift of leadership, and we need you. We need you to lead. We need you to show, by way of example, what needs to be done. And when you do it, do it with enthusiasm. Do it with zeal. Have you seen zeal before? Let, let me give you um, an example of zeal. Picture uh, like a library program or some kind of a school program where you've got like, I don't know, 50, 150 kids all sitting in a room. And a magician comes forward. And the magician says, I need a volunteer. Some of you can already picture 150 kids sitting in a room with a magician standing in front of them saying, I need a volunteer. And what it looks like is this. Oh, me, 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 pick me. Enthusiasm, zeal, wanting to be the first, hands shooting in the air, arms popping out of sockets. Never have you seen a kid's hand reach as high as this. We have needs for service. And you say, ooh, pick me, pick me. I want to go first. I want to go first. I'm going to lead. Do it with zeal and enthusiasm. When you do it with zeal and enthusiasm, then other people are willing and ready to jump in. I'm there. I'm right behind you. Some people have trouble taking that first step or, or going, so we, we work up projects at my house, and I got into a project recently, and I was completely overwhelmed. 
I went, I don't even know how to start. I don't even know how to start. I have to put down 1,500 square feet of flooring and I don't even know how to lay the first line. And my wife said, why don't you call your friend? Okay. My friend came over, helped me lay the first three rows. So encouraging to me. I was ready to lay all the rest of the flooring after that. Because he helped me get started. Some people just need somebody to take initiative and get started so that they can follow along with you. And you are the leader. You are the one who has the vision for it and says, ah, I can do this. And then people come along with you. We need people to lead. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is what I was referring to just a little bit ago when I said you see those things that other people need. You're watching out for those informal needs in the body. And you say, oh, 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 they need something. And they need more than just encouragement. They need somebody to come alongside them. They need some kind of help. They need somebody to come and lay that first row of boards. Mercy. Mercy. And when you are acting in mercy, when you are serving in mercy, do it with cheerfulness. That can be hard. Not always cheerful when I'm merciful. I'm a parent. <laughs> I'm working on it. But do it with cheerfulness. Be glad to show mercy. Be glad to show mercy and compassion to other people. Now we've reached the end of this list. But I want you to know this is not an exhaustive list. These are some examples of ways in which people can serve in the body. There are many, many ways in which people can serve in the body. In fact, this is not the only place that Paul talks about ways that people can serve in the body. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts of the Spirit. He talks about it in Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 4, he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He gave those apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and shepherds to the body for the sake of the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The role of the pastors and elders is to equip the members of the church for works of service. 
So if you're saying, I don't know where to serve or I don't know how to serve, do you know that there are pastors and elders and ministry leaders who would love to talk with you? You want to serve, but you don't know where? I have some ideas. You know where you'd like to serve, but you don't know how to do it? I would love to help you do that. It's my job, and I delight to do it. To encourage and to equip, because when the saints, when the church members are all serving like that, it is for the building up of the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ is built up, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which is why our spiritual act of worship is to offer our physical bodies to God in acts of service to his church. When we talk about the gospel in that diagram, and that when we lean in on the gospel and understanding the good news about Jesus, one of the things that we expect to come out of there is service. And I want you to know that you are not serving to please God, but you are serving as an act of worship. It is your spiritual worship. And it builds up the body for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those who are here today. I pray for those who are already serving, who have found their place to contribute to the needs of this body. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit for their acts of service that you have called them to. I pray that you would fill them with faith so that they might do all that you have asked for them to do. Father, for those who have not yet identified a place where they might serve, I pray that you would fill their hearts with love for you and that they would have their eyes opened to see what you are calling them to. And Lord, I pray that we might do it with cheerfulness, with grace and with mercy that we might glorify you, not only in our deeds, but in our attitudes as we do it. That we might see this as a celebration of your glory and your greatness as we gather here. And then that we might live our lives in acts of service and worship to you by offering our bodies to you to do all that you have asked. In Jesus' name, amen.